Hello, this is Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager and Commander Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. If I only get in Star Wars someday, I will have made the trifecta. And you're listening to Neil Before Pod, because you are smart. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to an electrifying edition of Neo Before Pod, the podcast that hides among the neon signs. Season 1 of the new CWDC superhero show Black Lightning has ended, so it's the duty of Neo Before Pod to give it some long-form analytical discussion. Back, as promised, is the same squad that were here for the very first episode. Chris, welcome. Hello. And Aaron, you're also here. Hola. How do, how do, made it through the series? Or did Me, you? Me, Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris, you also made it through the series. I also made it through the series. And since all the listeners read every single review I write, uh, I also made it through the series. Thank God for that. So here we go. Yeah. Uh, this is a really poor success criteria, by the way. If that's a measure <laughs> to start with. Well, you know, it was teased, and I'm just uh, referencing the the thing we teased in the first episode about how. You know, you in particular, Aaron, might uh, abandon it at some point. Oh, I've totally forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. no, I didn't abandon it. If you <laughs> had a bet on anything other than the end, you lost. Mm. There we go. So those, uh, those, those odds, whatever those odds were, Aaron made it. I don't know. I guess they would win a lot of money because the likelihood would be that you might not make it through. Well, the odds... If you use DC TV shows, uh, superhero shows, as a... As a yardstick, or then the, the odds were really high that I would drop it. And I'm not watching any of the other ones anymore. I don't think. Hmm. Oh well. Uh, cool. So, as always, we'll start with our kind of spoiler-free thoughts. Chris, do you want to go first? What did you think of the series as a whole, the first season? I really enjoyed it. Actually, it still suffered from a bit of the sort of mid-season lag that I go on about quite a lot on these podcasts. But do you know what? I think it's a really strong show that sort of stands apart from a lot of the others. I mean, it's. I think the fact that it's set in what appears to be like a really, really real-world setting is pretty impressive, actually, and it, it makes it stand out quite a lot from the rest. A real-ish world setting, which will real-ish. You know, let's go. Let's go with the fact that there's superheroes in it and go. Okay, let's discount that. But the rest of it seems quite, you know. Yeah, uh, Aaron, what did you think of the series as a whole? I probably went slightly the other way in that I, I did enjoy it, but had more trouble towards the end than I did with with the mid-season. But nonetheless, it's that grounding in more real world issues trying to make it yeah more realistic as a as a foundation point that meant that this was a dc show that i did want to come back to cool my thinking was uh, i loved it pretty much throughout there was a couple of episodes and a couple of elements that i thought were a bit undercooked uh, which we'll definitely get to once we start start spoiling everything for everybody uh, but on the whole, I thought it was really strong. I mean, I'm I'm watching the the kind of other shows, the other DC shows, and, and they're all toiling to an extent because they are 23 bloody episodes, and you know, so you get the odd episode, you get quite a lot of episodes where you're just sitting there and it's like, why, why is this happening? 
all they're doing is you know running on the spot essentially um and then you get that kind of big blast of plot towards the end but i think this it felt more that the plot that they were developing kind of moved along naturally across the 13 episodes so it was like they had this 13 episode story not that it was perfectly paced but certainly it was um it was more deliberately paced than the other shows are and i really liked that and i think that shorter seasons are definitely a good model for for superhero shows because it does let you have that more tight focus uh, and it lets you move through things a lot quicker and a lot like i said a lot more naturally that was um that was the biggest takeaway I had from that. That you know, the, everything moved on. It felt like every episode was necessary in a way. So yeah, I have nothing else. Uh, unless you guys have anything else, we can uh, spark up the spoiler dynamo. The spoiler uh, dynamo. I like. Yeah. I like the spoiler dynamo. Excellent. El- it's electricity themed. I don't know. Like best I could do. Okay, let's let's zap over there then. Zap to the spoiler section. Uh, Aaron, are you okay to zap to the spoiler section or do you have anything kind of unspoilery to add? I'm good to walk normally there, but I still get <laughs> into the puns. I just can't do it. I just... It just it, it's, it, 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 yeah, that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, let's do that. Now we can talk freely. Um which is good. So we kind of touched on this earlier, but after the pilot, um, we were all very enthusiastic about the pilot. And from what you said in the spoiler section, it seems that we all still liked it after the pilot. Uh, is that an accurate assessment? Or Aaron, you said there was some things that you kind of went the other way on. Can you go into a bit more detail about what those were? Well, I, I mean, I think I just meant went the other way with what I got on with and what I didn't from Chris and that he had trouble with the middle, but I, I was okay with the middle it was the end that uh, caught me by surprise so i don't know which part of that you might want to talk about or yeah. do you want to just talk about the whole thing still for a bit or um just yeah go into whatever whatever works um um i'm happy to to jump around the if i well if i pick a standout moment then that probably describes what i like about the whole season i think i'd pick when Nissa is newly thunder, and I think I forget which episode it is. You might be able to help me with that. Where, but she gets surprised in in a parking lot, or, or or catches somebody else being surprised in a parking lot, and then lays into two street thugs. But then immediately afterwards, she thinks, "Oh my God, are they still alive?" And she has to run over and check that she hasn't killed them because she's just been absolutely kicking seven hells out of them and for me that is a superhero show where you're still getting the fun stuff for want of a better word where you get to see the action and and the ass kicking but then it comes into this grounding reality where you think oh my god yeah if i was a superhero and i did that to somebody there is no guarantee they would survive any of that and and she is of course rightfully concerned based on the way she's been raised and I think that that adds a, that adds that sort of realistic threat value to the plot that that the Marvel shows have been definitely wanting, but the DC shows so far have, have you know they've always avoided like in you know in Legends what, what's the name of the guy who has got the fire gun? Um, Mick. 
Mick, he, he, he points his big flame cannon at people and the Nazis just get knocked back and they're otherwise fine. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, but that's the physics of that universe. That's just the way it works because we are superheroes and that's what we do. And, and that's fine. If you set that up at the start and as a conceit of the show, then, then that's just the way it is. We buy into that. But I quite like this, this sort of, I like this moment of panic and this, as Anissa realized that being a superhero in a more realistic world isn't that. You know, if you hit somebody, there is a small chance you will actually just break their neck if you're that strong. And it has a nice little element for me that I, I enjoyed this show for. I think Anissa's learning curve was one of the more interesting things about the show as well. Because, I mean, you had the experienced hero with, with Jeff. You know, maybe he made a few mistakes along the way, but in terms of if he was going out to accomplish something, then he knew what he was doing. You know, he was an accomplished fighter. He knew how to strategize. He knew how to assess a situation. He knew what, you know, he knew what guys to go for first. But Anissa was learning from the ground up. And to begin with, she was doing it on her own, trying to figure out how her powers worked. So it was that, yeah, she hit a little too hard in the beginning. And that was, that was jarring for her. Well, they also made a bit, a bit of a, a, le- a specific teaching moment out of it where, again, you'll have to help me with the specifics, but they've, they've got to break into a place. I want to say it was a coroner's office because they were trying to get to a... Yeah, yeah a it was. It was a coroner's remember. office. Yeah, and, and, um, and she, she, she's asked to break through the wall and she turns to her dad and asks, Hang on, how hard should I hit this? And he, he he walks her through it, and and it it's almost the same. I forget which order they come in actually. If one ends up being a lesson for the other or not, but but it is yeah, it's definitely in there as, as an actual learning curve for. Her. And and it, yeah, that's nice to see from a new superhero that doesn't within one short musical sequence suddenly become amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that lesson that you can't always just barge into a situation. Sometimes you've got to strategize. Sometimes you've got to be more gentle and precise about something. You can't just go and punch your way in, punch your way back out. Sometimes it needs a bit of finesse. Especially in the world this show belongs to, because mm. the, the heroes are always now outnumbered. You know, the, the criminal element uh, and the, the kind of corruption in society is so strong that um, Black Lightning or Thunder, whenever they go into a situation, they, you know, they're they're fighting uphill and um, an important thing for Anissa was to learn that I mean Jeff already understood that and that was kind of part of his his teaching as well although I think part of his arc was learning the extent of that corruption as well so um, there was you know there there was obviously experience to be gained from both of them but I like the idea that they gave you the experienced superhero coming back in and a brand new superhero coming up from the you know coming from nothing well, do you know, there was something about that, though, that, that made me have a thought that I couldn't possibly resolve not being in the right culture to do it. But it's it's through those moments that I started to get this real Cosby Show vibe from a, a learned parent trying to teach their children who are grown up but still learning the ways of the adult world. And I thought, wonder if that was considered stereotypical for a black family if you were in black America watching it or whether it was not even close and the vibe I'm getting is just because I've only watched a very small number of black American TV shows so it's just a pure coincidence that I happen to have drawn this poor link but but, but not being in that, being in white Britain 
it it was something that I thought I wonder if it's a thing or not and I have I have no way of just knowing that I, I could research it I suppose but it it was a, it was an odd thought at the time I suppose there is the bit of the kind of subtext of obviously the way um, black people are treated in America and you know the, the police brutality thing we talked a, a bit about that in the pilot episode uh, discussion we had but I feel like a lot of the kind of father daughter passing of wisdom stuff could have you know you could have just done that with white characters as well I mean obviously the subtext existed but you had all this um, a lot of the lessons were pretty pretty natural stuff you know they were sparring they were uh, going out to 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 fight people and and do various things and um, so I don't I don't think the the specific lessons or the the teaching method was you know was, was race motivated certainly I think it's one of the, you know, Jeff is one of the strongest father figures that we've seen on a, one of these TV shows in a long time. I mean, we talked in the, the, the episode where we talked about the pilot about the fact that this is a, a dad who's a superhero, which you don't see very often. But yeah. he's actually a good dad that's a superhero. He's teaching wise lessons. He's passing on wisdom. He's not going off the rails every time his daughter goes out and does something. We've not seen all of the cliches that you would normally expect from a, a, a superhero show like this about, oh, I must keep everything a secret from my family to make sure that, you know, that they don't get caught up in all this. He almost actively encourages it at some point. It's interesting, the, the structure of the show, obviously it's called Black Lightning, so there's a large amount of focus on... Jeff and his alternate identity and there's a really large focus on the kind of family dynamic in general but you could almost feel like this show could with with a slight very slight alterations you could call it thunder and it's about you know mm. it's about a a young woman becoming a superhero whose dad happens to be black lightning and then it becomes this kind of i guess her support team is is her dad and and whoever else and you could you could almost see that show existing in some way you know it's uh, well, you you won't know this, Aaron, but that um, that episode of Supergirl, Chris, where you know it flashes back to their time at high school. You can almost see that as a different mm. kind of show, you know, and and you get kind of you get tastes of what that show could be whenever you you know it focuses on Anissa cultivating a costume, practicing by kicking washing machines or whatever it was she was kicking, and then things like that. And um, it could almost be called Thunder with Black Lightning as a sporting character, but the the fact that they've focused it on Jeff, you know, because a lot of the time TV dads, uh, in inverted commas, are the supporting characters in a show, but they've kind of flipped it by making the TV dad the main character. And I think that's a big part of what makes it feel a bit more unique. No, it's definitely something that makes it stand out a bit, in my opinion. And I thought it was some of the strongest sort of relationship stuff was between uh, Jeff and his daughters. I thought it, it just worked really well. And I think you're right. You could have called this funder. I mean... I don't, I'm going to say I don't know why they did it, but probably more because Black Lightning is a more marketable character than Thunder. And if they'd called it Thunder, people might have looked and went, nah, I'm not going to watch that, that's not interesting. But <laughs> but I think, I think they Lightning. really, but I think they really, they really could have done it. Um, I think you're right, with a bit of tweaking about backstory and stuff and the way some of the lessons are, are put over, you, you really could change it around. Yeah. I'm glad they did what they did because I find the idea of um, focusing a show on a community leader 
who happens to be a superhero and a father at the same time. It's just there's so many different bits to Jeff. And I like the way they kind of all both complement and conflict with each other. So, you know, his life as a uh, principal is is kind of kind of hurts his life as Black Lightning because there's no way you can successfully combine the two and ultimately they they say at some point I mean they say it in the pilot that he saved a lot more people as um, Jefferson Pierce as the principal than he did as Black Lightning and ultimately when he turned his back on that I guess the community got a bit better because of his external influence but I think part of what he wants to do is build up to you know, to make the community better with everything he's doing rather than just one thing he's doing. Mm. But um, obviously it's not so easy. Well, where you definitely see the impact of Jefferson Pierce is when they did the um, the little newsreel when he gets arrested and they're doing the all the talking heads. And it's uh, the majority of the people in the talking heads are talking about how Jeff has uh, helped their daughter get into grad school or is the only reason that they managed to get a job after they left or, you know, all the different things that he's done to help people out that you get to see through that that newsreel footage. Yeah. And the bit that speaks about him combining both roles is when you see him standing on the rooftop and he sees the the kid from the school selling drugs on the street corner. And he's got the choice at that point whether he will confront the kid as Black Lightning or whether he'll confront him as Jeff. Yeah. And what he does is he goes down in his street clothes and tells him to come to after school club. Yeah. You know, that that's the kind of thing that I just I really liked is the fact that, you know what, there's a smarter way to do this than for me to go down and and be all pow wow about it. Yeah, and I really liked that bit where he was kind of outed as or supposed to be out, he just Black Lightning, certainly arrested under suspicion, you know, because he's this guy that looks exactly like Black Lightning, I suppose. Um, it, it, again, it's the, they don't recognise him when he has the mask on, whatever. It's just one of those things, but... It, uh, it looks slightly like him, but that man's wearing goggles, and Jeff doesn't normally wear <laughs> goggles, so no, there's no way. No, no, yeah, no. He, he goes home at night, he doesn't go out fighting crime at night. Yeah, no problem. But it was when he was arrested, what you saw was various kids in the school, um we're about to like fight the police to stop him from getting arrested and it just kind of shows the influence he has as as Jefferson Pierce that's that stuff really stands out as being you know being an example of the the world building the strong world building that they've been doing yeah I, I did like that the sort of head teacher exit tour where I think he stopped at every doorway to speak to someone else and go don't beat up the police I'm going to leave <laughs> and then yeah. you turn the turn the corner and there'd be another group and you go right don't beat up the police I'm going to leave with them <laughs> <laughs> then he got out to the front don't beat up the police I'm going to like oh my god is like how many people have tried to stop this all the way around yeah well there was a bit where Anissa almost uh, flipped out and he was like mm. no no we'll, we'll do it their way in terms of sort of Jeff's arc uh, relative to kind of the way he interacts with his family um, so you had that kind of will they won't they or pseudo will they won't they thing that he had with um, with his ex-wife throughout the season and it turned out that, that her problem was that she just couldn't handle the stress of him being out risking his life every night but uh, on the same token her realisation that she um, was involved whether she liked it or not and had to put up with it whether she liked it or not and actually realised that she had accepted it and was able to deal with it and um, that's a big part of what kind of brings them back together. I thought it was like really well done, really natural uh, and it wasn't 
it wasn't an easy fix for that relationship either. No, I, I, do you know what? I quite liked the way they handled his relationship with Lynn. There was a bit of will they, won't they, but then it became pretty obvious. It's like, oh, they're going to hook up together at some point and then something's going to go wrong. And it did. You know, as as with a lot of these sort of TV things, you're like, oh, yeah, if, if they get back together, then it's almost certainly going to break up again the next episode. And that's when, you know, the argument started over um, trying to take away uh, Jennifer's powers. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that... I could sort of see that there was going to be some sort of fallout. I didn't know that was going to be the reason for it, but you know, it, I, I did like sort of showing that you can have this sort of stable uh, relationship after divorce. It wasn't a relationship where they were fighting all the time and constantly in a huff with each other, didn't want to see each other, doing all that. It was a stable relationship for the for the sake of the daughters, presumably. But yeah. you know, it still seemed like quite a stable thing. I mean, even from the first episode, you could tell that. Yeah, they weren't together, but they were still parents. That mm. was the distinction that you you could make. But um, obviously, she was his confidant as Black Lightning. She had her own relationship with Gamby. She um, had her own opinions and everything. Uh, and I just like the way that that Lynn moved around within that um, within that different sort of dynamic and you know when um when Anissa gave her all the information to look into that kind of genetic restructuring stuff and uh, when she said when Lynn said when the, when the time comes you'll tell me right and you know she so she recognizes that yeah she's not comf- or she doesn't want to talk about what's going on yet but she kind of trusts that she's done a good job enough of uh, raising her daughters that they will be honest before it's too late to be honest kind of thing so there wasn't a, there wasn't as much of this everyone's lying and keeping secrets and you know jumping around all that i mean we know how much that drags down some of the other shows so it's it's good that kind of any secret that didn't linger for too long and the approach the the approach to it was very mature no definitely i agree with you there it's kind of weird actually with with Lynn and the family because normally when people are so absolutely perfect I find it annoying and it's difficult to to describe or I can't remember good examples of when I've seen this before but when when nobody has any troubles whatsoever you I think there can be this point where you or I struggle to relate to them now I didn't find the characters annoying so I can only assume that most of what they did was still so very human that it didn't rub me up the wrong way at all, so that's good. I did struggle slightly at the start when the reason she re-accepts Black Lightning is, won't somebody please think of the children? And I thought, oh, do we really have to make it so obvious a reason why they're going to get back together again and accept his powers? And then, fortunately, though, that didn't seem to come back into the into the later episodes. It was more about parents dealing with their children's trouble. And I think perhaps because you want there to be such a thing as good parenting out there, m- maybe it was just nice to see that between Lynn and her daughters. Um, so I, I think... I'm going to say that I did like their family dynamic, but I'm struggling to put any better reason on it other than I didn't find it annoying when I thought I was going to. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I wouldn't say that um, Lynn was was perfect as such. I mean, I, I can't think of any mistakes she made. Although there was, there were certainly some. There were some things that she would do or say that were, you know, they, they were kind of in opposition to what other people were doing and saying. And they, and but you know what of, I mean? They had a perfect family. You know, nobody had any trouble in that family whatsoever with the things that that normally cause families to fight, at least fall out slightly. You know, you just have a bit of a, a bad day with each other. You know, you're, you're four people stuck in one house and you've got to come home to them and you've got to spend time with them in the evening and you have to be there sleeping and if someone snores and it keeps the rest of the house up, you know, there are things that just mean that if a natural family environment has daily trouble and teenagers are especially narked by any problem generally because that's the kind of emotional framework you're in as a teenager and this family didn't have any of that any time any of the daughters had any trouble they were able to reasonably quickly deal with it with their parents even the daughters who blatantly steal each other's clothes did just get over it. It was like, you've taken my jacket. But then, a little bit later on, I'm totally okay with that because you're my loving sister. So they, it became more of a, a, a jokish challenge that you took my clothes. But the normal setup in a household with two daughters who can wear each other's clothes is, you better give me that jacket right now or I'm going to tear your arm off to get it back. <laughs> and... <laughs> And, the, and the, 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 the parents have to step in and solve fights. Now, I know one of the daughters here is, a, is older. And, and I know the other one isn't really that young. But still, you want there to be some realization that I don't care how good you are. You can be based in a, in a, in a, in a religious household that, that really promotes good behavior. And, and you can be a really wise family that knows if you have trouble you need to speak it out. But normally, there's a bit of a flare-up first. And I, th I think that's what I mean by they're an absolutely perfect family, in that even when they had fallings out, they immediately solved that with exactly the right psychological behavior. And I'll go back to where I started from, though. I mean, I didn't find it annoying. I think it was good to see that. And I think that the... The fact that they did use the right psychological behaviour could be simply the reason why, of course, they were able to solve their problems so yeah. quickly. So you could consider it to be skillful, But it, 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 it catches me out because they were seemingly so perfect. Their troubles were entirely external in that sense. And I, I think they were, a, they were a fairy tale family, but... That may be right. Maybe that was right for the plot. Maybe that did actually work. Maybe the the message and the story that was wanting to come across here that the writers planned on did actually need a slightly fairy tale family. And and as I say, because it didn't seem at odds with the rest of the plot, I didn't find it a problem. But it was a noticeable point for me that, that these characters they had perfect imperfections. Um, even you know, even the Jekyll and Hyde behaviour that I really liked from from Jeff um, was didn't cause him any trouble. 
in, in that part of his life. It, it didn't really cause him too much trouble anywhere, actually. And he, he was definitely Hyde at various points in, in lots of the TV shows. Sorry, in lots of the episodes explicitly the one where he even beats up his own daughter. And so, mm. whereas I like to see the Jacqueline Hyde because it gave me... It, it it gave me a flaw for him to 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 have and something I could uh, I could enjoy watching. It's like well he beats up his daughter, but then she's better again, and they forgive each other, and there's no follow on problem from that. I think the the reason it sort of didn't bother me is because it was always consistent. You didn't have one episode where they were you know mature about solving their problems, and then another episode where uh, where they weren't. So it was in every episode they had the same approach. I think the biggest point of disagreement that I picked up on was when Anissa tried to make Jennifer feel better by telling her that her dad is Black Lightning. And then um, and then they, uh, both Lynn and Jeff get upset about that because they identify that as not her secret to tell. And then they have a bit of an argument about that. And again, it's a reasoned argument and you can understand where everyone's coming from, but at the same time, it's kind of that, um, there is that impetuous mistake that uh, Anissa makes without really thinking about it. I don't know that I call it impetuous there. I mean, I, I know what you mean. I, I totally get it that it was a mistake, but when it was being, when it was being made, there was no point in me that said, oh my God, how dare you do that? You know, it wasn't such a mistake as I thought a line has definitely been crossed. I could see their point when they raised it, and that was the family they, that was the family atmosphere that they'd set up, that was the rules of the household that they'd set, set up, and I could see that they'd crossed a line according to their own rule set. But to me it was, well, hang on a minute, we're all relatives here I think my sister's got a problem and I want to tell her and I want to help do that you know it's it it almost seemed to me to be almost the opposite it was like well how how dare you treat this girl Jennifer as such a child that you, she can't hear anything from any other setup now that's a bit extreme that I present out there because I don't actually believe that but I, I'm putting it out as a another p- potential perspective that I could think a completely different family could have. You know, that sisters have no rights in, in, is, is a more extreme, again, way of saying that, so I don't actually believe that. But again, I could see that another family could take it in that other direction. So, whereas it was a problem and the family's lines had been transgressed, to me it was, okay, well, that's how your family wants to do this. It is the problem of a perfect family that has that. They have that discussion then, as you say, but it's a reasoned discussion. And Anissa immediately backs down and says, no, you're completely right. I shouldn't have crossed that line. Uh, I do believe in our family's values and I'm not going to do that again and then move on. So it, it didn't throw them off for an episode. Yeah. It didn't cause a big stomp reaction. It, it didn't really upset anybody in a permanent way. And that's what I mean by it's a perfect imperfection. The imperfection is there to make them human but it is then immediately dealt with in a very reasoned, very wise way. And we only raise our voices in order to ensure that we're passionate, but we immediately admit when we're wrong, and we bring ourselves back down, and we say we're okay, and we get calm again. So it, it, it could have gone 
much more into a flame warwick and it would have been still very human so i think instead what you've got here with jennifer's problem with the circumstance is actually the more interesting point that they chose to go down a a different route with her she doesn't just go that's cool i embrace it i think that's actually the most important part of that setup the other part i think actually is still a perfect imperfection Mm -hmm. i mean they are the family of reasoned debate aren't they i mean it is one of those things it's like I disagree with what you've done and here's why you're wrong. And the other one will turn around and go, well, I disagree with you thinking I'm wrong, here's why I'm right. And they settle their arguments through debate, which is one of these things that you just, you don't really see on TV shows. Like you say, is that most of the time, if there's an argument, this argument will now rage for the rest of the episode, maybe even the episode after. And then in the third episode, they'll finally get together in the last scene and go, oh, do you know what? You were right all along. Whereas in this, it's like, I, I agree to disagree with you, and then they move along. They, they move on. And that's what makes the, the family unit so strong in this, yeah, I think. and they do establish that that is a conscious decision they made on how they were going to raise their daughters. It was a trusting household. And you sort of see that when, um, when, when Jennifer just brazenly tells them that she's going to go sleep with Khalil because, <laughs> you know, because she, cause it is a trusting household they're quite happy with her making adult decisions, but if she's going to make adult decisions, she has to be an adult about talking about them, you know, and um, and they make sure that it's all very safe and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's quite an, it was quite an interesting and surprising thing, and, and I quite like that that decision by Jennifer took them completely by surprise as well, uh, because we're like, well, we did do quite a good job of raising her, didn't we? You know, it was that uh, almost, they were, they were almost... You know, they really surprised or really shocked that she would just out and out do that. So that suggests that maybe Anissa didn't do that same approach. Um, although, you know, and they were they were very casual about her sexuality as well. You know, that was just something that was completely accepted because in this family, everyone can make their decisions. And um, well, it's not it's, it's not really a, really a decision as such, but uh, everyone is accepted for who they are. Uh, and they all just kind of get on with it quite happily because they are that strong dynamic i think spot on really i mean the 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 fact that the family's so open and everything makes us strong and like we've complained about in so many other of these programs is sitting there going oh they're keeping a secret from each other oh brilliant this is our argument that's going to rage on and it's going to move on and on and on and on so it's just nice to see that for a change Yeah, just they move they move through it they get past it and they move on to something else and whatever they move on to is inevitably more interesting or just or just as interesting uh, and the thing is, I quite like that Jeff has a tendency to overreact to stuff. Uh, it was like you said, Aaron, about the kind of Jekyll and Hyde side of it. You know, he he does have a he does go off the boil slightly at certain things. So when he finds out that Anissa has been fighting as a vigilante at night, you know, like he does, he's resistant to it. And he's like, no, no daughter of mine is going to go out there and risk her life. And then by the end of the episode, he's like, well, she's going to do it anyway, so I might as well make sure she survives. And that's kind of a, you know, that. Once he's had time to process it and come back to it and really think about it, it's, nah, she's just going to do it whether I say no or not, so I might as well just use what I know to help her out. Well, I think that's what I mean about the speed of it all. They they do get past things so quickly, but I can't emphasise again more too much that I I didn't mind this stuff. I, I think it is just a noticeable point, but it, it, it does get over that very quickly. And then all of a sudden, yeah, we're superheroes together. And yeah. it, whereas I definitely don't want the keeping secrets from each other 
I, I do wonder if there was still space in this story for people to have emotional problems with each other that aren't so amazingly quickly resolved with perfect wisdom. So somebody could be upset with each other across an episode rather than immediately dealing with it. And I have a suspicion that if this is going to run for a long time through many series, and who knows how these things work these days, but if it is going to go that way, then they, they, they are going to have to have emotional issues to deal with that are lasting. Because if they're too perfect, then you're going to be relying entirely on the external forces of the bad guys to give them trouble. And I think that perfection will come out too much. And the bad guys will start to seem too ridiculous as, as they're all utterly reprehensible and even at the moment if you notice that the families of the bad guys and the politics of the bad guys are all truly evil you know as, as Chris said in the opening episode they're James Bond villain <laughs> level bad and the, the good guys are truly amazing and they're all saintly even though they're saintly humans with imperfections again perfect imperfections and if, if it doesn't complicate a little bit and you also still get the natural flow of these things where you get the expansionism principle how do we top this is always the question I think the writers and producers ask then then both of those things coming together I, I think will just point out even more how holy the family is yeah. and how demonic all of the bad guys are yeah, uh, although when you say about things that are resolved in sort of a single episode, I think that's true in the main. Although when Jennifer found out about her powers, she kind of, it wasn't a simple acceptance. You know, it took her quite a while to, and even then she's not quite there yet. But the, the she kind of moped around for a couple of episodes and made it very clear that she has no interest in going out there and fighting crime because that's just... She just wants to be in, you know, she wants to have a normal life. And, and I, I like that approach as well because it is that, you know, you you have so many superhero stories where they get powers and then they're they feel the weight of that responsibility and they learn they learn what they're capable of and they feel like they have an obligation to use that to help some greater good and and Jennifer's just like nope, don't want any of this crap. You know, you people are superheroes. I don't want to be this. I'd rather just get on with it and be a teenager and and she does kind of think about that for a while and Anissa's got the the alternate sort of feeling on no no you have a responsibility and and you, you have that debate that rages on for quite a while I mean she's kind of forced to help out at some point but that's when her dad is in danger I was going to well, just going to, just to answer that that this is what I mean by the external forcing versus the internal I think that her getting powers does fill in fit into that external forces set up it's not that somebody in the family actively gives her powers and I know that's a rather debatable point when you're considering genetics so I want to bring the will of this in mm -hmm. it's not like her father turns around to her waves his magic lightning wand and says and now you have powers at which point she could reject his decision whereas what actually happens is there is a genetic forcing here nobody chose it in fact Jeff himself said I honestly didn't know if this thing this condition I had was going to spread to my daughters and I think, do they even say at one point they thought they'd gotten away with it because it had been so long and nothing had come up? But either way, that, you know, that was the, 
that's what actually did happen. So this 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 is the forcing that comes from outside the family, the world impacting on them, and that stuff does carry through absolutely, and that's good. But it it she she doesn't necessarily suffer a choice from one of her family members or a mistake from one of her family members pushing her beyond this 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 uh, an end of an episode i i don't think i think it is still the external forces that 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 last um and it, interesting it was one more thing on that one it's the final episode that brings that to a head for me when she really panics in a nicely believable way at one point and then she seems to immediately get over it and i thought that that came far too quick that i am you know you know it's like it suddenly becomes clear or is it anissa that says there's a danger we may all die here and jennifer well, i can't handle that I just, nobody can handle that and she really breaks down and i thought that's an amazingly good reaction i want to see that that's part of her character that she is not embrace being a superhero but if if you watch it it's only in a matter of five minutes or so and it's almost in the same scene that she seems to somehow get over it and she's like yeah let's fight with the family i'm one of you now and it was a that was a small microcosm of the whole series where she she flips right back one side and then flips right back to the end for the finale but, I mean, it, but the rest of it the rest of it was the rest of it was her development was good i can't deny that i definitely wanted to see her as she was presented where she was having trouble with it because as you say with her own way and Anissa the other it's it's both sides of the coin yeah but I did have that trouble in the vinyl episode um, and I found Jennifer's sort of relationship with Khalil interesting at least to begin with because I, I thought that Khalil was a bit of a symbol of what the show is really about you know it's that kind of he represented the the normal people he represented the city and he was he was injured uh, you know, in a very real way, and, and he was kind of lashing out at people, and then you had this this um, reaction from Jennifer, where she was like, "I'm really struggling to handle this," and and she was worried that that made her a terrible person and all that stuff. But it was, you know, I mean, you think about someone so young, and uh, then they have this thing, you know, this thing happened to someone that they're, but they don't know that well, but they're they're close enough to, and it's like, how do you react? You know, what what impact does that have in your life? And I don't think it makes someone a terrible person to recognise that I'm not hugely comfortable with this sort of um, sort of side of it and I, I really did like that I mean I think they went away from that very very quickly especially when Khalil pretty much disappeared yeah, do. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I like that idea of you know and he's, she's having trouble dealing with it and when he um, when he's feeling sorry for himself and kind of takes out on her, she's like, "I'm not listening to this crap," and uh, and leaves. And it's almost like she's looking for that excuse to remove herself. Honestly, that's what I wanted to see a bit more of in the series because of the direction they've chose to go a bit more realistic, a little less into the pure fun. It was it was Khalil's side of things that was threatening to push it too real, perhaps, and maybe they shied away from it because it would have. It would have made it too dark. It would have gone almost in that Marvel direction of of nastiness. But I think I would have liked to have seen a bit more of it still, because Khalil has that very human reaction, and it's it's taken away from Jess family, so they don't have to suffer too much. Yeah. But if you can imagine that Khalil was not taken out of the picture and was constantly 
a thorn in Jennifer's conscience. At the same time, she's then also trying to struggle with, should I become a superhero or not? Do I have a responsibility or not? Paralleled with, well, do I have any responsibility to Khalil as a previous partner, as a current partner, as just a friend, as a fellow human being? And she could really have struggled with that, especially, as you say, because she was so young. And it might have been too brutal for DC's shows because they wanted to do something realistic but not really that real or or, or did they just remove it and it was actually a, a bit of a misstep either way I, I think that was one of the I can't call it weaknesses but I will call it something I'd, I would have liked more of to, to ground it just a little bit more in the the brutality of the world because the perfect family doesn't have a crippled daughter to deal with Um, so they could sidestep the real brutality of it and keep the family reasonably perfect but you know that they're supposed to be showing us that this is a a black community that has been literally stepped on by the white government and i totally get that they're telling me that the kids are poor except all of the kids have really perfect white shirts on. And they're telling me that the kids have trouble with drugs. But the guy, the, you know, the, the, the first kid that takes drugs and he's in the bathroom, he looks like a perfect middle-class student until he goes nuts and starts ripping the toilets out, obviously. But up until that point, you know, they are pristine students. The, the school is so clean. There are no people who are... Uh, young and trying to show off their sexuality too young when a gun's brought into the school it's because of a of, of, of a single gang connection but you don't get the feeling there are lots of gang connections you know that it's it, it's not really a uh, a New York inner city school where they've got like metal detectors on every door and there's security guards literally everywhere and the, the drugs aren't packaged up nicely. They're probably in someone's desk and they'll actually try and sneak a bit in the middle of English because, quite frankly, the teacher doesn't dare challenge them. So, you know, you know the, it's, it's, it, the, the, the niceness of the family does actually kind of extend into the niceness of the school. You kind of think, oh, Jeff's, Jeff is a really amazing principal because he has managed to remove all problems from his school. And you they do make points to say that he does have trouble students, but even the trouble students immediately fall in line with him, you know, unless they've just been threatened by a key major bad guy, in which case they have to break ranks. So it, it is, it is, it's got this perfect environment almost, but it's a perfect, imperfect environment. And Khalil could, could have broken that up a bit more, I think, to add a bit more fuss, a bit more, reality to it but yeah maybe that's too dark yeah well there wasn't i mean there was a lot of effort made to show that the kind of the school was this oasis in the middle of all the craziness so the you know the the clean hallways and the pristine looking students and all that stuff is you know it's kind of part of that plus it's also a cw show at the end of the day yeah Uh, there are no there are no unattractive people on the cw it's just a fact of life that's just what happens um 
and I thought school was you know was 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 interesting in that sense of the kind of yeah here is where the the problems of outside don't really creep in and they do start to creep in as the show goes on you know there's a an attack at the school uh, Tobias attacks the school because that is a powerful symbol of I can infect any part of the society even this thing that has been meticulously built to you know to be a counter to that society but with the Khalil thing as well you know the the thing about the I mean, what happens to him is the perfect example of, you know, bad things can happen to good people because he does all the right things. He, you know, he takes all the opportunities Jeff gives him. He stays away from drugs. He concentrates on bettering himself, you know, setting himself up for the future. And then it's just in one fell swoop, it's all taken away from him. And that's just, that is a very brutal example. Well, whereas that's true, do you know what I thought was better and it was... I'm I'm feeling like I'm bringing up all the negative stuff, but I feel like I'm 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 just playing counterpoint here. That's all. So it's, I don't feel like this is entirely all just me being dark again. Maybe it is. Who knows? But where I thought it was done more interestingly was Lala's influence. Because when Tobias comes in, he comes in as a James Bond villain. He should have had his little cat with him, and he was over the top. But Lala comes in as hello. I can make your kids do what I want because I've got control of them. I've got the drugs and I've got the money and I've got the nastiness. I don't need superpowers to do it. And when Lala sends somebody into a school with a gun, that's threatening. That's real life power. And so everything you've just said, I would like to have seen more of that through Lala, actually, because of not only just that reason, I think it's that bit, a little bit more realistic, but also because I thought Lala was underused and, and wasted at the end. I mean, the, the he goes out and then he comes back in and he, it's this weird thing that he's got and it's, it, it brings the mystical in. You think, oh God, where's this going? This is a totally new thing. And then it's thrown away at the end by Tobias going, sorry, yeah, mate, that's just a, that's just a wacky side effect of the new science. And you what? You've tapped into the essence of spirituality. It's just a side effect of your weird science. Dear God, you should have... Don't just laugh that off. That's ultimate power over people's spirits. You know, you should go back into that science room, find the scientist who did it and say, new project, okay? We've got some really important stuff to do here. But, so I think... It was never clear if that was actually, like, the actual ghosts of these people or if it was... um you know, if it, if it was just he was a hallucination of some kind, but the and I, and I quite liked the the way they did that actually because what you have is this conscience haunting someone you know who's done terrible things and Lala consistently said you know what I'm glad I killed you leave me alone and he was just kind of dealing with those it was was it two or three ghosts that he had to deal with definitely two definitely two I can't remember yeah, but yeah definitely I can't two. remember if there was a third but it was um, Lawanda. And I forget who the other one was, but the and that wasn't until towards the end anyway. But it was when he was, it was when they were trying to essentially make him feel bad about what he was doing, and he just refused to feel bad about what he was doing. I think that said a lot about how committed he was to the decisions that he made, I suppose. And then but he, then it doesn't go anywhere. Then no. he's just it, it, not only is he off screen for a lot of time. But he, and then he's brought back with some crazy thing that doesn't mean anything ultimately for the plot. I mean, it it could have done, as you say, it was this, if you are a bad person, your bad actions can come back and haunt you. And it feels like that is definitely thematically connected to a show that uses um, 
religious phrases for its show titles and has a very uh, perfect perfect family at the center of it you know these they're, they they're good conscience people they're very wise people it feels like Lala would have been a much better first season villain for this ethical moral show than than Chris, you're going to have to name him as his Bond villain. I can't call him Tobias anymore. He needs a Bond villain name. We're going to have to start calling him that. Um, especially because the plot had too many... The plot had too many bad guys at the end that everybody was like, can we have a go, please? And you know, and then Lala's at the bottom of that pile. So he doesn't even get to be... It, when he gets to put his hand up and have a shot at the end, it's like, yeah, no. Nah. There's there's just no plot left for you, mate. Human bomb. That's all we've got. Take it or leave it. I'm sure he's not dead, though. Like I'm sure that. I hope not, because he, as I say, he was the most interesting bad guy to then be used so little, possibly even so poorly. It's as yeah. a massive shame. I thought. You know, I thought I thought the sort of uh, the insane guy that's able to talk to dead people running around town just being a bit of a nuisance in the background to be honest would have been quite an interesting turn uh, for a later season now you do hope that he comes back but you know I think that bomb was pretty definite <laughs> but yeah, you know his death in the first place was pretty definite as well so like well that's true that's true yeah yeah so how, how, mu- how much of him needs to survive to be able to reanimate <laughs> I don't know <laughs> we'll I don't I don't know the mad science that's behind this uh, the Bond villain uh, but it's uh, yeah and I think um, I think you're right about there being too many villains towards the end I think the the ASA and uh, I'm blanking on the guy lead guy's name Proctor was it Proctor oh, I just knew him as the AIA bad, ASA yeah, bad the, guy the, the yeah. Donald Trump analogue Proctor, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was yeah. him. So um, I think I think he was introduced too late to be interesting, and then by the time they introduced him, they didn't do anything with him really, other than being a kind of a symbol of whatever Gamby can regret in his past. And I actually liked that idea, especially when you had Gamby almost appearing to play both sides early on. You know, when you had um, Lady Eve around, mm. uh, I thought she was killed a bit too quickly, and she was more interesting than her death deserved. And, and I liked the idea of. Uh, she and Gamby set up Freeland to be the thing it is and there was a lot of compromising to make it you know, to to make the system work so it's kind of the idea that Gamby accepts that Lady Eve is going to do certain things because overall it keeps more people safe and uh, Gamby's sort of pragmatic approach to, um, to, to to protecting people was an interesting counter to Jeff's eventually but I like, I do like the idea that he is willing to make those compromises because he thinks there is a greater good at play um, it's better that he makes that compromise than let everybody run riot, and and because the end result of that is is just chaos. I mean, a lot of the compromises and stuff that he made, a lot of the rules that he put in place was the Pierce family are off limits. He does a lot yeah. of it to protect them. You know, it's like that. That is the deal that I have made to allow them to to be safe. You know, to keep uh, the Friedland High safe and everything. He's made these these promises. I mean, I really like the turnaround with Gamby, and I think you're right about the amount of villains that they seem to burn through them quite quick towards the end. And you're like, that you could have done a season on each of them, or you know, half a season on each of them, given a bit more building. But it seemed that a lot of them were put in so for for Tobias to conquer, really, in the background. 
yeah. uh, while Jeff's off running about the SA. You know, he's basically helping Tobias work his way up. Yeah, it's uh, in all the chaos that's ensuing around him. I mean, part of it is that Jeff doesn't really know who his enemies are. That's another mm. problem, you know. And and that's a kind of typical superhero thing. It's like, you know, um, the the hero is focusing on villain A, while villain B is the bigger problem. But the, and that's essentially what Tobias was. But the and the conversation I'm thinking of between Gamby and Lady Eve is the bit where uh, he said that Tobias is, like, ridiculous. You know, he's running riot. You have to keep control of him. And and Eve says, I can't give you Tobias, uh, but I'll give you, like, his underling. And so Gamby just goes in and kills him. And it's to set that kind of example that she isn't to be messed with. But uh, I think Tobias is too well-connected and well-protected to be um, to be offed at that point because of the connections that he's made himself. So it's that kind of idea that, yeah, there is a bit of a powder keg brewing in the background and, and Jeff doesn't know the full story. And the problem is Gamby keeps a lot of it to himself to keep to protect him, which is acknowledged as a mistake on his part. But still, um, I found Gamby to be one of the weaker elements of the show early on, but I found it more interesting when it seemed like when it was revealed that he was kind of involved in everything in, in different ways. Yeah, I mean... I. At first, I was like, oh, he's going to be kind of the Alfred guy who, yeah. I've, I've made you a new suit and I've fixed this and off you go. I've, I've made the gadget that's going to save the day in this particular episode. And then as they dug around and you're like, you, you're left guessing going, well, what side is he playing here? He's either playing them or he's playing Jeff. And it turns out he's sort of playing both really part of the way through and then, you know, commits fully towards the end. I mean, the, the episode where he's basically being beaten to a pulp and still refuses to give Jeff up yeah. is is brilliant. I, I think it was a, a really good episode, that one. It's, uh, you know, it just shows this, the strength in the character and the, the lengths that he was willing to go to to protect that family. Yeah, and that, that's the one where um, Proctor does learn, or thinks he learns, <laughs> that Black Lightning is mm. Jeff because it's hang on, you're protecting Black Lightning and you're protecting Jeff, so therefore they must at least know each other. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and, and I guess from, from Proctor's point of view, he doesn't really know who Jeff is. I mean, he'll know, I suppose he'll know a bit, when he'll know about his connection to Gamby, but it won't be in his thoughts a lot. So we, But the, the idea that they were smart enough to make that connection, I quite liked as well. I don't know, actually. I'm not sure. I leave him as neutral in my head in that... He was used for a specific purpose throughout, and it it occurred to me properly at the end what that purpose was. But when I looked back, I'd never felt that I saw it. And I think the defining point is in the end scene, where you've got the really good, wholesome family standing around the villain realizing that they've got a problem you know who we are what we're going to do about it and gamby comes in at the end as the the person who is compromised and you know morally he's the one that can cross the line he's done it all his life so he's the one at the end that if can of course can shoot the bad guy and i was thinking that i intellectually understood that that was Gamby's role in the plot. He was the one who was broken by the world. He was compromised where the others wouldn't. He would cross the line. He's done bad things while well, they've still not. But when Gamby was 
at the start seeming a bit dodgy, he just seemed a bit dodgy. I knew there was going to be more in his plot when he was keeping things from Jeff and there was always going to be a backstory there, but that's as far as it went. It wasn't any more than me intellectually thinking, yeah, there's some backstory there. We'll we'll probably learn that soon. I didn't go, oh my God, that was nasty. How can he possibly be a friend of the, the good guy? You know, because he didn't do anything. Yeah. Spoke kindly, friendly with the bad guys. I think that carries on throughout. There's this thought that he's done some bad things and I, I kind of know on paper that he's he's been spotting kids and sending them away to prison but I didn't really feel like he was evil somehow it was like he was just sort of sending the kids on a bit of a nasty holiday I, I didn't really connect with him being a horrid person in his past who had since come round and redeemed himself so I th- I think the reason I'm feeling a bit neutral about him is because he never really swung far enough in either direction for me to to really feel what I know his character was supposed to be. I got it. I picked it up from the from the plot. You know, I could I intellectually worked it out, but it but the character never really hit me hard in in a way that I thought there was this sort of Damocles hanging over the head of of the good guys. And at any moment he could turn on them. Like it, it, it somehow I don't. I can't say it was the performance. I don't know if there was. It was. Was it just the writing? Was it just the threat? I don't know. I'm not. I don't know why I didn't connect with him stronger than I did. I found him to be the weakest part of the show, kind of early on. But you know, as they did start giving him more, or they start telling us more about him, I was more interested. And in like as I said, I liked him kind of playing all those those different sides in his own way and I guess being deluded into thinking I had more of control of the situation than he actually did I mean the the point where he's honest with Jeff I think the um, the rift that crops up between them is a bit is a bit overcooked although that could be part of Jeff's tendency to overreact but I also like that the other characters make up their own mind Lynn still goes to speak to him although she never likes seems to like him to begin with she just goes to see him because she has to and then Anissa's relationship with him is very different as well. And she chooses not to let her father's, at that time, opinion of him dictate how she's going to interact with him. So that's all good. I think he, um, I think he had an important role in the show. And um, the sort of ambiguity that existed around him was interesting. Um, I don't know that it completely it's completely successful. And it's one of those things, once you find out the kind of extent of it, it's less interesting. So there's that kind of middle ground where you're finding out little bits and pieces, but not the full story. Because the whole ASA thing wasn't that interesting. I mean, sort of uh, Freeland being an experiment by this government organisation to turn people into metahumans. I think that's possibly where I started to struggle with it, because the, the foundation of the character plots are so grounded in these are troubles faced by real black Americans at the moment to then have that spin up into and the threat to the city is from secret government experimentation which if you take in any other superhero show would of course make perfect sense you know that's what evil governments do in superhero shows they are effectively twirly moustached villains that the heroes have to defeat but it 
But it's that disconnect with, with, as I say, when you open with real black American trouble, and even drugs. I totally get, of course, that drugs fit into that. But turning your average, poor, lower-class member of your society into super soldiers is not currently a problem faced by black America. You know, so it's like it, <laughs> it was really far out. And so when Gamby turns up and says, yeah, I've been a bad boy, it's like, well, yeah, you've been a bad boy in a superhero universe. That's totally forgivable because you can redeem yourself by just saving somebody falling off a building and then it's fine, you know. But then you try and put them up against the very moral religious family and and the measure should be completely different. Well, no, I'm sorry, I, I now I can't measure you against... Uh, superhero redemption stories anymore I need to kind of bring you back into the real world in which case what you've done is worse than a hanging offence because of what you've done to all of those kids so again it's that thing where intellectually I totally see how bad this is but I I think I struggled to connect them because they were so different maybe maybe yeah I see what you're saying Uh, another part of the issue was that the whole super soldier you know, in pod thing didn't go anywhere. It just kind of petered out. I mean, it's maybe a tease for next season, or maybe it's not. But the the thing is, it didn't really pay off. Although I do like how the finale went back to focusing on the family, and it didn't resolve. You know, it didn't resolve the problems of the city because the problems of the city can't be resolved in a single season because they're systemic. So you can't just you know wave a magic wand and sort it. You know, there's there is at the at the end of the first season. The situation is pretty much the same as it was at the start of the season. The only difference is there's a few people dead uh, who were doing stuff. But the you know the the problem of drugs still exists. The gang warfare still exists. I mean Tobias is at the head of the criminal chain without without opposition at this point. Although you probably will have some opposition next season. Uh, all that stuff. So like the the problems are still there, and the, maybe they can't be solved. I don't know. But the it well, the bigger, the bigger, the yeah. pro- the problems are bigger than that one city, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Although, do we know that now? Because at the end, it's suddenly revealed that the ASA is actually a rogue department. The government's nice after all, and it's just one dude who's gone nuts. Yeah, it was Proctor was a rogue part of the ASA as well. So the the ASA are a wider organisation that have a different agenda. But he had just gone rogue within that organisation. Certainly the city still got problems, though, as you say. There's still going to be drugs, and presumably Tobias will, will still manage to run whatever is the current iteration of the 100 gang. Yeah. But what a, what a, a lead villain, though, in Tobias is quite a, a just absolutely off-the-chain villain. Yes. I mean, it's the the first the first villain that I've seen in a while on telly and and one of these DC shows that goes and kills his own father in an absolutely brutal way and then walks off it's and, and it's just a I'm going to say a throwaway scene like a couple of minute scene that reveals how badly he's been treated the reason he's ended up the way he has and that's his resolution to it to make himself feel better is he breaks yeah, you, his back and leaves him to slowly die in his own home. Yeah. And you're yeah, going, oh my God, the proper evil villain. 
he, he thought it was going to go a different way. Actually, I thought it I, when we started to see that episode and the sisters still in there and they're all chatting away and you start to learn about his past, you think you're going to be watching the episode where we suddenly feel for the bad guy. You know, he's just <laughs> misunderstood. He had a bad past. And it's led him astray, and maybe Jeff is going to speak to him at the end and say, you know, oh, you're just like one of my kids at school. If only you'd have had the right mentoring, you wouldn't have become evil, you'd have become nice. And then the bad guy would turn around and go, yeah, you're right, I should have done nice things. But no, 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 as you say, he, you get a bit of sympathy, and then it points out, no, I am truly evil. Absolutely. I've embraced it. It's me now. It wasn't my dad. Actually, I'm up for this evil. As you say, <laughs> bit of backbreaking. Leave him to suffer. Don, yeah. might drop. He's a, he's a great villain. And I think um, there's a bit of subtext in the fact that he's played by like a white rapper uh, as well. You know, he's... Obviously, it's a show predominantly with a black cast and he's, you know, he's a white rapper and... Um, or the or the actor playing him is anyway. And then you've got this thing about the fact that he is actually also a black guy, but he's very... But he's an albino... So he's kind of an outcast. He's not white. He's not black. He just doesn't fit in anywhere, uh, and he kind of resents the universe for doing that to him as well. And, and he has that inferiority complex where he has to rise to the top of everything, and that's why he can't just take orders and and put up with you know his his penthouse with his piranhas that he can feed people to whenever he wants. And I like that that kind of constant reaching for for more because he just wants more constantly. Well, it's trying to get back that control he used to have. You know, he was yeah. a city councilman. He had worked his way all the way up to the top, and then it snatched from him. You know, the ambition that he had when he was a councilman was probably higher than that. It was, I'm going to be governor, I'm going to be senator, I'm going to be president, whatever, you know. Yeah. That's that's what I'm aiming for. And then he gets taken down, and then that's it. It's all over. He's got to go into the shadows. He's got to hide. Is that where they had too many angles, though? I was wondering because you're saying was was there a theme to it, and, and I sort of believed that there was a theme because you had Proctor, as you say, he was Donald Trump. They they don't even hide that. In the end, they just say, "Let's do this," and they really make it clear. So he's he's the uh, official representative of white uh, economic upper class evil. Yeah, and then you've got Lala, who is street level corrupted black evil who has embraced the pain of the world and decided that the only way they can deal with it is of course to become the evil and then you've got Tobias in the middle who is almost literally a black person turned bad by the evils of the white world and is therefore now literally white in colour I'm thinking, well, that's that's all your angles. You've totally covered all of the themes there that you could do on 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 how black society has been crushed by by this white dominance. But bringing all three of them in together brings us back round maybe to that problem of of too many evils because you they, maybe they didn't get to explore any of them. You you reckon Proctor's is boring? Well because there is no way of getting three different evils in that sense enough screen time to 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 make them you know to make them interesting to give lala enough time to actually 
show what he was interesting, to actually turn Proctor into something useful and then turn Tobias into anything other than a Bond villain. I think you're you're right. I mean, the thing is, it's like at, at that point when when Proctor's introduced, there's not enough time for them to do anything. You've already got Tobias out on the prowl. You've already got other villains that are sort of back and roaming, and you're like, who's this guy? Where's where's he come from now? All oh, right, okay, he's 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 going to be he's pulling the strings, but you you get the impression that he's got no way of controlling uh, Tobias at all. You know, and even Tobias is plotting, like almost immediately when he's introduced to him, is plotting his demise. There's one exception to Tobias, you know, um, people that can control Tobias. There's every every conversation he's in, he's essentially the winner. You know, he um, he has the most the the power of intimidation. You know, he has the stature. He's you know he's just a menacing presence. But when it, when Lady Eve talks to him. She's able to give him the dressing down that he can't counter, you know, able to tell him exactly who's in charge and and send him on his way. And I, and I found, and that's why I think they shouldn't have killed her off so soon because there was, I like the idea that she is above him in every conceivable way. You know, she's not afraid of him. She knows what buttons to push to get him to back down, all that stuff. You know, I think uh, they wasted a character there. I was hoping for her to escape at the end. You know, when she discovers the the plot, she notices what's going on. She picks up the gun. She shouldn't be. I thought if she escapes, she is going to cause him all kinds of hell, and 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 she gets taken out. And it, I thought that I was really disappointed in that. I'm I'm a bit like you. I think there was a lot more to come from that character. Her death as well was interesting in terms of the public public reaction to it because obviously she's not a well known crime boss. She's a female, a, a black female philanthropist in a in a society that doesn't have an awful lot of those. So you know it was clear that people looked up looked up to her, people respected her, and the community lost something important when she died. And this kind of talking heads approach they took to pivotal events was was always good because of it did give you that. Here's what the here's what the city thinks of this. I did like those. I mean, they used it uh, a few times, and it was you know what what is the word on the street after this particular episode or this particular fight, and I liked the way that that played out because it did give you an impression of the street eye view, and they also got their digs in about the slant that the the media use when covering stories on um, black violence or gang culture and and how they try and spin a story to tell something completely different or to fill their own narrative. Well, I might add to that just by saying I wonder if they might have used that a bit more. It it was something that did come up, as you, as you say, sometimes. But it, it wasn't a thing, a gimmick, a, uh, um, a medium mind completely for its for it's a full effect and it, it i don't know if it was possible to do any more than they did with it but to me it it's possible that it had that same link into the other things we've just discussed about how there was a lot of stuff that maybe didn't get fully used so that image of black society being presented through the media could have been a bigger thing. But again, maybe 
you know, I'm, I'm sort of seeking too much because ultimately they did want Black Lightning to remain a more fun show, as you say. It's on the fun network, so it was it was it, it was never going to be a a dark piece. But but when you present all these good ideas, sometimes you you can't help but think, oh well, maybe I would have liked to have seen a bit more of that. Maybe this could have gone somewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, the talking head stuff, I think uh, it could have been one of those things they did in every episode and it would have been massively overused. It would just been one of those things for like, why are they doing this every week? But I think it gave you a range of opinions and it's something that, you know, Arrow doesn't do. And I use Arrow as a specific example because that is specifically a show about someone trying to save their city in the same way that Jeff is. Uh, Although, you know, they have radically different methods that um, that allow them to, you know, to, to do that. But the thing is, in Arrow, you never feel like there's a city out there that he's actually saving. It's a collection of warehouses that he goes and shoots arrows to, and people in, you know, and uh, you kind of don't get that on the street viewpoint. But giving us that on the street viewpoint through, you know, through side characters, through uh, little bits of dialogue here and, here, here and there, and through news reports with the talking heads and... Um, one of the most striking ones for me was the one, it was where Jeff was arrested and they were talking about how, you know, there was a negative opinion about him in the news. It was all about how uh, he was grooming kids to be a certain way or whatever else. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was interesting to get the other side of the perspective as well, just to show that not everyone is on the same page. Yeah, there was that one woman that's going and apparently he brainwashes the kids into calling him Black Jesus. And then you go and I think that's just wrong. And I was like, oh, okay, and that and that's the one that made it into the uh into the mix. You yeah, know? yeah. And it kind of proves the point about the media uh, narrative that gets built, isn't it? We've got to get balance on this story. We've yeah. got free free people that say there's no way he would be a drug dealer, and then there's one person that goes, "He's nuts. Uh, he's you know, he's getting kids to call him Black Jesus. Of course, he's a drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> hang him. Uh, it's one of those. It's uh, yeah, very uh, very famous. And I, I agree with what you say that you get a better impression. I'm not a better impression, but you, you get a better view of this city than you do in the other shows where you've got no idea what Star City or Central City or anything is. Yeah. You know, but you do get quite a good impression or at least a full view of what Friedland's like. Well, there was, I mean, there was other little bits I liked, you know, just little touches, especially with how people react to Black Lightning. Uh, I think it's in the second episode where he just goes into a hotel because he's going to attack some criminals and uh, the doorman's like, yep, they're on the third floor. Off you go up. It's good to see you again, Black Lightning. You know, it's that kind of casual reaction. Or the guy that he's about to beat up wants a selfie with him. That was, <laughs> that was a really funny moment. And it's, it's it gives you the idea of the impact that Black Lightning has on people, you know, the, the, the way that people talk about him and all that stuff. I think it's um, I think it's really strong the way that that comes across and uh, it's little things like that. He is very much a hero of the people, you know, to use that phrase, uh, rather than being his own, you know, being held up on his own ideals. It's the idea that the people do respond to him. Um, there's even the bit where they use holograms. Um, you know, How are they getting people to cheer the hologram yeah, as it goes through yeah. the streets? Yeah, and it's the idea that the very sighting of Black Lightning and Thunder are able to, um, you know, to to bring out hope in people, um, and the idea that Thunder was growing more popular than him online. I mean, according to Jennifer, I don't know where she's checking, but yeah, a, bit, a better Facebook following or whatever the yeah, the line yeah. was. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, so that I mean that's all interesting stuff. I, I do like seeing the kind of impact, you know, the the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man element, if you will. So what about Black Lightning and, or the handling of Black Lightning in general as a as a hero? Um, I'm not crazy about the costume. I think it looks <laughs> stupid. You know, it's just this big fluorescent neon lit thing. I think um, Anissa's costume is much better. Uh, yeah, I thought Anissa's was a lot better, but the the thing well, that got me about one better. <laughs> the thing that got me about the Black Lightning costume was he was sort of doing the the same thing that you see on Arrow or whatever, where they're standing on a rooftop, being really subtle and out of the way. However, you're like, listen, buddy, that's not going to work for you. You're lit up like a Christmas tree. It's like I don't know how he wasn't spotted more often as he was standing on rooftops. But it's like you said in the the pilot discussion, he hides next to billboards and stuff, so you know he's nice noticeable. <laughs> but I guess it's the idea that he does want to get noticed as well. You know, he wants people to see him, which doesn't work for stealth missions. But like in general, I think the idea that he wants to be seen. It's, it was the one where he was hiding because he wanted to take out Tobias. Yeah. And he's standing on the roof and he's considering whether he's going to go and take him out or not. And they've got the bodyguards come out of the car first with the, the big machine guns and they're sort of having a look around the rooftops and checking the alleyway to make sure everything's clear and none of them spot the neon <laughs> the neon black lightning standing on the rooftop above. The episode where you've got the ability to fly was a bit weird. I wasn't I wasn't crazy on that. And so. and they never they never really went back to that again no. either. It's like they did it a couple of times and they went, oh, well, that's very expensive. Let's not let's not put that shot in again. <laughs> Yeah, the theme of the show is is trying to connect it into a more real situation. So they bring in, they bring in his popularity on social media. They they bring him into the uh, news media, and for me that had uh, a good place. It needed to be there. Um, honestly, I can't picture Thunder's outfit at all in terms of that more traditional superhero setup. I, I can see that with Black Lightning they wanted to keep some sort of 70s angle. I can only assume that it was originally a comic in the 70s. Um, so that was that was, that was was why it was a bit more of an over-the-top costume. Yeah. I suppose it's a surprise they didn't try and tone it down slightly because with everybody else they've They've tried to take anything that's a little bit too wacky and and modernise it slightly, tone it down a bit, make it a bit sleeker, make it a bit cooler rather than vivid and over the top. But um, yeah, you get the you get that straight away at the start though that he is a, a hero from the past. You know, and he's coming back now. Yeah. So, to a certain extent, I can see that they wanted to make that emphasis clearer in in his design. You know, he's he's the past, and his costume shows you that he he has that connection. Whereas Thunder is now, so she's got maybe a a sleeker, more up to date um, costume. So, so we needed to draw that that distinction. Maybe, uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know. When you start getting the Bond villains coming in, having a guy walking around in bright lightning, it it doesn't didn't stand out for me because other people were so nuts, and it kind of picks up the pace towards the end too, where 
they quickly have to explain to you how Khalil is managing to knock people out with darts. And you're thinking, what? Where did that come from? That's just this random extra power. It's like somebody had written in a hell of a lot of backstory and then suddenly remembered the supervillain he was based on and had to quickly ram that in. (laughs) So I think Khalil was the weirdest of them um, in terms of did it fit in with the rest of it? Whereas Black Lightning, I'd sort of been introduced it from episode one, so I didn't have anything to reject because it was either do you like it or don't. If you don't like it, you shouldn't be watching the show sort of thing. Whereas whereas some of the other ones come in later, in which point you've got this established setup that is going to be interrupted and and that could really bother you. So, yeah, it didn't, didn't bother me. I think I'd already accepted Jeff's costume so I, I didn't question it. I like the Black Lightning persona. Uh, you know, the kind of sarcastic, almost dickish way he would re- talk to people. Uh, you know, whenever he would uh, call Henderson up and just like essentially make fun of him while giving him information or, or taking information and then sort of either hang up or leave, uh, you know, before Henderson could retort. You know, I think that was, it was quite a, quite a fun little persona. It's almost like, yeah, I don't get to do this in any other time in my life. So, you know, I'm just going to make it take advantage of the fact that I can behave any way that I want. And it's, it's maybe a little bit childish, but also can't really blame him. Very good for the disguise as well. Yeah. You've, you've, you've got to somehow accept the fact that I can't look at the shape of your face and immediately tell who you are. So need some way of making the two personalities seem different. So what's, what's different to a very respectable, wise school teacher? Well, it's this, as you say, cocky uh, backstreet uh, physical guy who just doesn't take anything too seriously that, that yeah. maybe that, that helps with the, the mask yeah. as it were I also like that fighting is always the last resort for him whenever he goes into a situation um, he'll try and talk the whoever it is down or, or warn them that they should stand down because the consequences won't be something that they'll like and then so he gives them that choice and then when they, you know, they attack him, he'll fight back. I like that. Um, it's it's a bit different. Yeah, the fact they commit to it as well. They even get him saying that to his daughters and getting her, the daughters to, to, well, maybe more Anissa than Jennifer, but at, at least with, with the more prodigal daughter, she is. She follows that line of thinking too, and it. It bothered me early on, actually, before I really caught on what was going on, why he quickly gets into fights, despite the fact that he says, I believe in talking first. But then when I realized it was a Jekyll and Hyde thing, and I know I'd been shown it in the first episode, it it shouldn't have been a surprise, but somehow I managed to totally miss it. But by about the third or fourth episode, you're suddenly realizing, oh yeah, the lightning in his eyes and the anger taking over, that's the opposite personality, that's him not being able to control it. So when he doesn't talk first, because there are a few times when he doesn't try and talk first, but the reason is because the anger has taken him. And even then, sometimes he can control that anger. And when he's arrested, he, he holds back and then gets his students to hold back. So he's, he's not a total Jekyll and Hyde, but it, yeah, they're a nice combination of things. Well, the, the, I think the clearest example of the talk first thing was when Jennifer was attacked by the two girls in the... I think it was a bowling alley. She was attacked anyway. And she fights back and then, you know, takes them both out. And 
Uh, he's like, well, no, no, you shouldn't have started that fight. It's like, well, technically they started it, but it was a whole, you know, you have to, you have to be better than that. And uh, and then he was secretly impressed, <laughs> or not so secretly to her actually. I mean, he was secretly impressed. As far as Lynn was concerned, but it's like two girls. Well done. You took <laughs> on two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was a nice little touch. That and um, even though like the costume, it just puts me off a little bit. But I like the the kind of persona that they built around him, and you know, it's something that I think it's to compare it to the other shows. Something Arrow does very well: Green Arrow, or the Arrow, or the Vigilante, or the Hood, or whatever they're calling them this week, uh, is very different to Oliver Queen. But like, there's no, they've not, they've not built a persona for the Flash, on the Flash, have they? I mean, that's just, you know, he's just Barry. He acts exactly the same, so there's no real difference there. If you met both of them, you could easily believe they're the same person. Um, or both of them from the perspective of you being not knowing that they who they are. But the Black Lightning persona is very different. And I didn't really think of the Jekyll and Hyde type thing. I mean, I thought that he maybe had a bit of an anger management problem, but I didn't really see it as an alternate personality as such. I'd, it's I'd, more that it just... All I mean by that is it stopped him from being able to live his morals and his ideals. Hmm. I mean, there were moments when he can control it, but he had to specifically control it at points where the anger was going to take over such that he could then actually enact his personal philosophy. So it wasn't a literal second personality, but it was a fight within him still, which is which is the metaphor for the... the I mean, Jekyll and Hyde is, you know, it is supposed to be, it was that allegorical, metaphorical, who knows? You know, the real people in us that we don't actually have a, a real monster, obviously. We just yeah. have this this emotional fight and for him it was an emotional fight I want to be a good guy I want to be wise I want to be the principal who will educate people however there is part of me that dresses up as a superhero and goes out and beats the crap out of these villains because to a certain extent that's what everybody would like to be able to do but you know you've got to try and be the good guy so it's a battle and it's nice that sometimes he wins that battle and he can actually resist it, and he doesn't beat everybody up when he gets arrested. But sometimes when things go too wrong, he does get angry, and he just gives in, and he lets rip. And when his daughters are captured and taken to some... I forget what they call it, the name of the hotel. When, it, when the daughters are taken to that hotel, yeah. the people he meets there, he picks them up with a lightning, and he slams them into cars. So sometimes he loses it. And it's, they, 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 make, they give you both sides, which is, which is nice and balanced and good for the plot. Yeah. So yeah, Anissa by contrast is is a very different sort of superhero. You know, she's uh, she's very idealistic in the beginning, and I, I like the kind of activist streak she has. You know, she goes about um, uh, throwing stuff at statues and protesting and all this stuff. She gets arrested, is it? You know, it's at least twice in the run of the show for being for protesting, and then uh, it's when um, she uses the thunder persona because she you know she appears and destroys the statue and things like that but I quite like how that fed into her exploits as, as a hero as Thunder when you know they were um, they were doing a bit of a stakeout and she read the lips and it's like you know I'm, I'm always at these things I like to read what people you know, I've learned how to lip read because I want to know what these people are saying and that's something that Jeff can't do and it's like oh, she's improving on me as a hero so that's you know that was a nice little touch as well I think it was a good element to that character. The fact that she becomes a vigilante is kind of like an extension. Uh, I like the fact that they made that 
that that difference between the two daughters that you've got one that wants to go out there and 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 change things and the other one doesn't want to cause a fuss essentially a lot a lot of what they do so i did i did like the fact that she was an activist it did get to show a different side it did get to show that there were people fighting the system in the proper way in friedland you know there were people going walks and marches and protests in order to try and affect real change it wasn't the fact that no one cared and no one was making a difference it was only the vigilantes that were doing it yeah and it's more about the the societal side of it as well because the um because it is the the people that that make a statement they do go out there and they do fight for for their own freedom and it's not they're not just waiting for a superhero to do everything so that's that's also really good. The way her powers were done as well, I really liked that. You know, she had to hold her breath to activate them, and maybe that's just because she's just learning how to use them. But it was that kind of limitation, and I love the the where she's fighting. I forget the character's name now, but the, the character did have a name. Sorry, no. that yeah, that was it. Yeah, um, and so where she was, where they were fighting, and she realised that limitation and and exploited it. So that was, you know, that was a really good use of that. Um, that setup, uh, whereas you know Jeff's powers, they were just on all the time, but he could be drained, as you could see, you know, and then that didn't really factor in until the end. But it was the idea that he would lose his powers eventually because he's like a car battery and he's older and his his, his powers aren't what they used to be. I quite like that idea as well. Uh, yeah, the the sort of mechanics of the powers was well handled. No, I did. I did like the way her powers worked with the breathing, and I like the fact that it, it presents a weakness. It's not someone that's invincible all the time. Yeah, you know, bullets bounce, bouncing off her all the time, and able to lift a car. It's like she's got to be able to breathe in. There is a limit there, and it is something that can be exploited. Otherwise, it's it's one of those things that if they don't write that kind of thing in, it then they then spend a lot of time going, right, how can we depower them this week and how can we make them vulnerable this week? Whereas this one, they, they seem to have fought and built it in from the start. Yeah. And, you know, come back to the Flash again where, you know, he's fast enough to do whatever at this point, but yeah, every week he somehow manages to not be fast enough to solve the problem. And um, I think the, the built-in limitations in this show are, are, are great because because it does mean that the powers aren't infallible and you don't expect them to be infallible either. They're, you know, they, it, it does feel like they can be challenged. I mean, the thing is, when Jeff fights Tobias, he's no match for him. You know, Tobias is stronger. I think it's part of it is the fact that Jeff takes him on hand-to-hand when he probably shouldn't. And Gamby says that there's no strategic sense in, in fighting him hand-to-hand. Um so there's that strategy side of it as well that's pretty good. Aaron, you always have stuff about power levels in, in shows. That's true. Power level in shows are actually a big thing for me. Because you brought up the reason I am no longer watching Flash. That's probably not the only reason I'm not watching Flash. But they they were consistent with the power levels. They did present some intelligent combat through most of it, as, as you say, with Cyanide finding the weakness. I wasn't so worried about the flying when it came out, you so mentioned earlier, but they didn't really use it, so it wasn't that it was yeah. an imperfect power level, it's just mm-hmm. that it was a bit meaningless. Well, that was only they always fight into, indoors. That was the only if thing that, that, that was only thrown in to incapacitate him later in the episode as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, but he never had to fight a helicopter. Normally, these things come up because later on they're <laughs> yeah. going to need to do something. So, yeah. so it was more that it was just a bit of a um, 
an unne- a bit of a, an unnecessary plot point. I think, generally speaking, the power levels were consistent. Nobody did something that they shouldn't have been able to do. And I don't think anybody was in a circumstance where I thought, well, you should have just done X and you would have gotten out of it easier. Um, it, I did need the explanation for why Cyanide could take a punch from Thunder. So I'm glad they did put that in there because I would have been a bit... I, I would have worried otherwise. But yeah. they did. They they gave you Cyanide's backstory. Maybe it was a bit of a exposition moment, but but we got it, and so it fitted. Um, the only one I think I currently was uncertain about was was Jennifer, because the only thing that seems to be stopping her being a total wonder girl is the fact that she doesn't want to be it. Because if she ever wants to be a, a superhero and she has the ability to generate energy, if she can completely recharge Black Lightning in one thing, I know she was a bit knackered, but not for very long. You know, she didn't even have to eat or sleep or anything to get that mm. strength back. Um, she just said, can I sit down for a moment? And that sit down was only long enough for them all to get motivated again. So she's the danger one where in series two, she could suddenly become as powerful as the sun. <laughs> but mm. at the moment with thunder and black lightning, they've kept them at the s- same level as the, as, as the bad guys. And they've kept the powers consistent between scene to scene. Nobody yeah. can suddenly do anything. So, uh, it's funny you brought it up and I was completely stunned by the question. It's, but I think that's because, I didn't see any trouble with it. I wasn't, I wasn't even, wasn't looking out for it, and it didn't slap me in the face. So, so I'm hoping that means that yeah, it was it was set to a good power level. Yeah. To for a lot of TV shows, it's normally a very slow power creep as well. I mean, this is only the first season, but what you normally find is in season two they make the villain more powerful, and therefore they've got to make the hero more powerful, and they yeah. slowly add stuff in where you're going, well, this is just getting bonkers now. The levels yeah. are just you know, world-ending power levels on both sides. Yeah. Well, you, you like the Flash really... where he's fast enough to stop time and then run fast while time has stopped. So, like, there is no combating that. You know, the and in this, it's... Actually, I think Jeff's powers will get weaker as time goes on because they've already established mm. that you don't heal as quickly as you used to. You don't hold a charge as well as you used to. You know, he is getting older and I think Tobias will be the same. I mean, he takes a he takes a serious hit from Jeff and he's out of commission for half a season pretty much. You know, so um, I, th- I don't think there's any danger of moving their power levels up too far because as I said, Jeff gets older every year. So if anything his powers will become less reliable I- as he gets older. I don't think the risk is them increasing Tobias's power levels. I no. think it's more the fact that he's escaped with the glowing briefcase and that anything, yeah. you know, something that he creates will be uh, a power creep. I mean, you see what they do to Khalil yeah. at the end. It's like, oh, not only can he now walk, he can now jump great heights, he's incredibly strong, and he can fire poison arrow darts from his arms <laughs> using this particular tool. You know, yeah. that's the kind of thing we're like, okay, where the hell did all that come from? That was yeah. like, you know, that was a hell of a starter kit they gave him. They've not just made him walk again, they've made him this. So that's where potential power creep comes in in the next season but you hope that you know they sort of keep to their beginnings and you know they've managed to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that you normally get so you'd hope that they manage to swerve that well i think with jennifer the the, 
as you say, they do have to watch with that. But the thing is, I mean, they, they just have her do things that are important for that episode or for that scene or whatever. So, like, I think this second season will be about defining her abilities. And, and the fact is, she's still young, so she is going to get more powerful before she gets less powerful. So um, there is that. Although they'll take time and define it, I think. I think that'll be fine. Uh, the, the, the Khalil thing... I think the limitation to that was that he had given up his 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 own agency, his own freedom for all that stuff. Uh, you know, the legs for loyalty thing that Tobias said that was that was a quite a powerful little statement uh, because it just shows and and it just shows that Tobias is in control and Khalil regrets that because he realizes that yeah he can't go home anymore, he can't go back to school, his relationship with Jennifer is over because Tobias now calls the shots and. And I guess that's the limitation of his power, I suppose. A more spiritual limitation rather than mm. a physical limitation, but still. So yeah, good stuff with the powers. I like that Jeff absorbs like electricity from stuff around him, like lights and things. That's quite cool. Just the little touches that, that make it, alright, so that's how that works. And, you know, and it's, they do it without telling you how it works as well. It just it's natu- uh, yeah, it it's kind of a natural way of yeah. adding quite nice uh, or quite good atmos to different yeah. scenes as well. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, Jeff is powering up and hiding himself, mm-hmm. or he's the only neon light in the corner where it's yeah. just completely dark. You know, when, when all the other lights go out, what's that bright light that's running towards you to punch you in the face? Oh, great! Yeah. Okay, now it always. It's quite effective. Yeah. Uh, so. Next season, uh, there is going to be a season two. I don't know how many episodes. I hope 13. I don't want a 23-episode season because I'm sick of them. Uh, on the other shows, they do not need 23 episodes. Legends got away with, was it 18? That was fine. Uh, but 23 is too many. Uh, 13, nice. Let's the story tick along. So that's what I'm hoping for. Um, will you guys still be watching season two? I think so, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I definitely will watch. I'm, I'm, I am going to watch it. I think that f- for me, it was a shame. Black Lightning has come at the end of a series of superhero shows. There's, there's what four DC, five DC. If I got Constantine, how many more? They're beforehand. At least five. It depends uh, what you define as. I mean, I, I'm guessing you're meaning the kind of post Arrow Renaissance. So yeah, so DC had Arrow, Flash, Constantine, Supergirl before uh, all coming in before Black Lightning, and Legends. Um, don't forget Legends as well. Is that six or whatever? Yeah. And then so Marvel has had a different network, but you know, yeah, yeah, like, whatever. Same universe um, now though. Marvel had got you know, four and then into Defenders. So this is like the at least 10th superhero show that I've tried, you know. And I think I've said before that I'm more of a science fiction fan than I am superhero, but that doesn't mean I don't have an interest in this. But it, but again, that just makes it, it's a shame like this is the 10th one because the interesting stuff for me was how it was a bit more grounded in reality and it was trying to tackle contemporary issues, but it's still the 10th superhero show I've watched. You know, that by itself hasn't made it really stick out 
from the others completely. It does make this show considerably different from the other DC shows. I can't deny that. All the other DC shows are about having fun, having a laugh. Um, and so, so this one is, this one's still fun. It still has that moments to it. It still has that kick-ass stuff in it, but, but it's definitely different. But unfortunately, is it that different from the serious milieu of stuff that's out there now? It, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be one that has stayed on my watch list, but it, it's not at the top. And I think that probably would un- be unfortunately different if it had been, you know, one of the earlier ones. And they'd have done, right, let's have a fun show like Flash, and then let's have a serious show like Black Lightning. I think I'd have been really into it then, but there's, there's this thing in the back of my mind slowly growing and taking over my attention, and that is Legion. Um, almost literally doing that. And... <laughs> Legion is is really stuck out as, okay, so you've watched 10 superhero shows, have you? Well, we've got something you've not seen before, and they are <laughs> absolutely right. Whereas with Black Lightning, it's like, we've got something that is a bit different to what you've seen before, and you, okay, you're totally right, but it's not, a, it's not a slap in the face enough to make me say, there's at least 100,000 shows out there now all competing for my attention, and and I'm having to get really brutal with my cutting as to what I'm actually going to watch. I think Black Light is in there because it's relevant. But it, the soon, if it ever goes the same way as the other DC shows and becomes just a, a, just this danger of being just like the other ones, I think I might accidentally not watch it once and then maybe not catch up. I think there's a there's a danger of that. I hope it I hope it carries on and I hope it it steps up some of that maybe a bit of a problem towards the finale at the end. Um, I think they need to take what they've got and really focus on it. You know, like Legends did. Legends said, what are we really? Let's embrace that for season two and really hit it hard. Because I know, I'm sure it's Craig, at least, if not both of you, said that you thought season two was a was a really good thing for Legends. They really hit a, a greater stride. I think I want the same from... I want the same from Black Lightning to to really, it's it's caught my interest, but to really grab me, I I want it to do the same thing, take what it is and and really make it more so. Yeah, it seems fair. Uh, I think um, I I can see why it would be similar to the the other shows. I mean, I've compared them, I've compared it to Flash, Arrow and Legends repeatedly on this very podcast. And I think that comparison is unavoidable because they're all on the same network. They are about superheroes and you know they have a they have their different setups and stuff but broadly speaking they're shows about superheroes trying to do something and i think um i think i was surprised that the show wasn't darker than it is yeah and definitely. i'm gl- i'm glad it isn't though because i'm you know i'm i'm personally fed up of this kind of dark and gritty stuff that they keep you know that, that christopher nolan has unwittingly inspired people to to think is the only thing that people want because it just isn't you know and or is it well, things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe prove that it's you know it, that people are looking for a bit of fun from superheroes. Well, uh, I get that, but I was cheekily saying that I'm totally still on board. That's all. Yeah. You know, it's not like I don't want that to go away because if all the superhero shows were like Flash, then I would have to not watch any of them. Well, if they were all like Flash, it'd be annoying. Um, that's the thing, and I get an, I get enough difference out of each of them. You know, Supergirl's tone is different to Flash, although it's more. 
it's it's more closely linked to Flash's tone. And the thing is, uh, Arrow certainly in its first season was a much darker show than this is. Um, and uh, I guess and Arrow has moved away from the darkness, although it brings it back occasionally. You know, it flips back and forth because it is one of the kind of core tenants of that show. But this, um, yeah, this one, it's you know, it's, it's not afraid to be kind of. Uh, a bit jaunty sometimes, you know. I mean, it takes everything very seriously. The social issues are all serious problems. They're they're treated with the, you know, with the um the gravity they deserve. But also, you have, you know, you have Black Lightning making snarky comments as he's uh, beating people with you know some kind of hip hop soundtrack backing him up. And I suppose it's a bit like Luke Cage in that sense because Luke Cage did that. Not to compare the two shows about black superheroes, you know, in that way, but they, well, you know, this, the you know, use of music was very similar. Well, I think it isn't. It is actually a point that it does bear some analysis because both shows had the same design. They both said, "Let's put aside middle-class white America and let's do something different." I think that in itself obviously is socially laudable but it, it doesn't help the, the genre completely because it's only Legion that's gone and said let's do something completely different and, I, and don't make, don't think that I believe you have to go totally nuts to be different there are going to be other ways of being different um, but they've they, yeah they've both done a very specific thing of Luke Cage and Black Lightning which is important for today, and I think that's that's what has made them interesting to start with. I think both of them held their own after that initial point. They weren't just interesting from a contemporary point of view. They were interesting enough by themselves. But, but it's very noticeable that that's what the industry has decided to do. We need to tackle this problem of the day... And and that's how they've chosen to to make this these shows stand out. It's I, I do when we when we first talked about Black Lightning, I had this thing in my mind that was that I was wondering if there was a middle ground, which I think is still actually a valid question. Your 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 other DC shows, every single one of them, is white middle class America, whereas these this DC show Black Lightning is very much Black America. Nobody yet, I think, has said, can we try and go into the future and create a universe that has managed to find the social balance that we desire? I mean, you've got like Star Trek, of course, that wanted to show that it had done that. You know, Star Trek was trying to say the Federation has found this perfect paradise, but you... you knew that was just them painting the cast. They, they were still very much. Star Trek episodes were still much, very much of their time when people were finding their feet socially, and in that sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm still interested in somebody, in somebody trying to say, let's go ten years into the future, or do an alt verse, and say, these issues, are have been defeated, and they could, they could still be socially responsible because they could tell you how they were defeated. This is what our world has become, and we've got other problems instead. I'm, I'm quite, I'd be quite interested in somebody trying to do that. I don't know where the conflict would come from, of course, because then you'd have to have something else going on in the background. But 
It, it would be interesting. It's, it's interesting to note from a social perspective that we are still having to try and right wrongs by, by really pulling up individual areas. We're still not being able to, to agree, perhaps, even amongst ourselves, what the final end point of these, this, this social change is going to be. Yeah, and I suppose it's about looking at these issues through a, a particular lens, you know, the lens of, what if there was a, a guy with powers fighting for these people? Um, yeah. And, then, you know, that's that's kind of, I mean, that's why superheroes became popular in the first place. You know, yeah. people were people were inspired during the war the war or the great depression with superman you know because he was yeah. he was a bit of hope and and so on you know if you if you look at all the popular superheroes they answer a need you know um spider-man answered a need for teenagers problems to be considered relevant you know that kind of stuff um and yeah there are no answers to the problem but what you what you do is you focus on these characters who are struggling with these issues and they don't always get it right they don't always win but they keep going and i guess that's enough to inspire people that's why these things in in, in the end are popular well they're, and they're important with it they're, they're definitely yeah. all these shows are definitely important we need to we need to bring up all these other angles so we we can stand some chance of becoming a a singular developed hopefully wise society and you have that representation angle as well you know um I mean, us as, well, the, the white middle class people have had representation coming out their ears for decades. And we're just now getting to this point where, where there's these alternate forms of it. You know, Wonder Woman spoke to people as a film because it was a female-led superhero film that was watchable. You know, and uh, uh, Black Lightning answers a need because there will be people that see themselves in these characters. And the fact that they've got such a wide range of characters, you know, ranging from teenage to middle age it gives you it gives you that range you know and, and people can just look at it and see themselves in it and i think the reaction to thunder as a superhero is a big part of that it's you know a lot of young women can look up to her because she is a woman who is fighting for them you know that kind of thing so there are all sorts i mean i can't speak for representation in detail because in, in these particular groups because i'm not a member of that group you know and uh, but, but I can understand why people would respond to it. Well, yeah, you don't need to be a member of a group to know that they're not represented. You don't need to yeah. be a member of a group to to know that they would want to be represented. I mean, you can easily say, well, if I had no representation whatsoever, ooh, would I feel good if I suddenly did? Well, yeah, you know, yeah. I think I think you can easily put yourself in that. Yeah. In, I mean, look at how much that. money Black Panther made at the box office. You know, that, that tells you exactly what you need to know about the, the need for representation in media. Well, it makes me wonder then if the next shows are they going to get into some sort of line then now, whereby we're going to get other representative groups. I mean, so Supergirl have done a strong female role. Black Lightning gives you a strong black role. They've actually done male and female. Yeah. I'm wondering if people are going to chase more groups to try and raise up that could be quite cynical actually if, if people suddenly do that and make money out of it i'm not not sure if that would automatically go the right way if that would automatically go the wrong way actually that that has a as many potentially pitfalls as it would be good but, yeah although but if you get, i don't know where they're going to go from people, here 
if you get people involved that have an opinion about this sort of stuff and they're been looking to tell these stories, then I mean, obviously, the the reason that you let these shows on the air in the first place is because you want to make money out of them. You know, you're not uh, social conscience isn't the the reason these shows no. get put on the air. It just isn't. It's I hope someone will watch this and therefore yeah. we will make money. That's why it's on the air in the first place. But the the idea is if we can put it on the air, make money, and people can watch it and get something new out of it, you know, see something, see themselves up there that and when they couldn't before, then everybody wins, I suppose. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, modern representative capitalism. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, um, it's an interesting point, and I suppose it's not one with we as three white males in the UK can. You know, can can argue to to any real degree of expertise, but well, you know, just just because yeah. you say, it, I think it's, uh, I wouldn't, yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd threaten yourself like that so much. I think it's it's one that you shouldn't be strayed away from in terms of you're in this potential danger of saying, oh yeah, this is this is a show that is to represent black people, therefore black people should be the ones to to talk about it you're almost in danger of creating the same problem from the opposite angle actually i think it's quite important that that, that we do comment on it and we do see that we have a connection to it so we are actually bringing it into our society so there there is an angle that is unique to to us to that specific audience that's the emotional angle but but there shouldn't be any and we should be encouraged to to try and bring it into our own societies and talks as well. So I don't, I don't think you should worry too much about no, no, not I just being think, able to cover every angle. Yeah, I think I think um, I, th- I think our argument is very kind of contained into a certain area because there are certain parts of it that we can't understand. But here's the thing: we three could watch the show, we could enjoy the show, we mm-hmm. could get something out of it, we could understand what it was going for. So therefore, it is a show for all audiences in that aspect. Yes. You know, yeah. it's as in it is a show about a superhero. It's got engaging characters. I understand that representation is a big part of it because I live in the world and read about these things, and and you see on Twitter what people want and what people are happy about or whatever. And then, you know, you you can you, see, you can sort of see why this show that I enjoy is actually more than just a TV show. It's more than the sum of its parts, and it's more than just simple entertainment. And that's that's good. Season two, though, uh, Chris, what would you like for season two? I think uh, me and Aaron are in agreement. Kind of focus on what they were good at and give us more of it. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I think this lays a very good foundation. It sets up quite a lot. I mean, in the season finale, it doesn't really close a lot of doors. It opens more, if anything. So, yeah, um, I just look forward to seeing how they they develop with it. They've built a nice strong foundation so let's hope that they build on that I agree with you about the size of the season you don't want them to suddenly turn around and do 20 odd episode season I think stick to the 13 uh, do some proper powerful storytelling and it'll go far yeah agreed so I think we've pretty much covered everything that we can uh, without you know without just going into a bizarre tailspin of minutia. Um, I, I mean, I watched the I watched the show weekly, and uh, I saw the finale a few weeks ago. And my memory of the little bits and pieces is is, is pretty good, actually. Sometimes you, you, I tend to forget some of the smaller elements, like you know, I would have expected to forget maybe Jeff talking to his enemies before beating them up. But you know, it's it's something that shone through, so that's cool. Um, 
so just kind of as a final thought, I mean, what did you think of the show? What did you think of the show as a whole? And has our discussion just kind of changed that perception in any way, I suppose? No, I I still enjoyed it. Like I say, I, I found there was a little there was a little lull in the middle for me where there was a few sort of don't get me wrong, the payoff for these episodes where they sort of set up quite a lot of stuff is that you get a couple of really cracking episodes where it all comes to the fore. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's there's so much on telly now, it's, it's difficult to choose what to watch, but um, I really did enjoy it. Yeah, I think it was one of those... If superheroes yeah. are in it, I'll tend to watch it. Yeah, I mean, my, my thing with this is the same with a lot of others, is that I'll start watching another thing and sort of churn through a few episodes and build up a couple and then come back. And, um, you know, it was on Netflix uh, here in the UK. So it was one of those ones where you could go away for a few weeks and then come back and watch a couple of episodes. And, you know, the only trick is avoiding spoilers. But, you know, thankfully my friends are rather gracious that way and don't spoil things too often. <laughs> yeah, well... I don't know how many friends you would have that were watching it, but, you know, the only people I knew that were watching it were you guys. So, you know, no chance of it being spoiled because I was ahead of you all the time. <laughs> yeah. I've had one guy at my work that's been desperate to talk to me about it for about the last three weeks when he found oh, out that I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, Aaron, your kind of final thoughts. Um, do you, you know, has our discussion changed your perception in any way or uh, are you still kind of feeling the same about it? I think my big change came when we did the chat of season one when Chris pointed out how much of a Bond villain Tobias <laughs> was. And then once I'd had my eyes open to the fact that there were these other things I'd not quite seen, from then on I was... I think my, my opinions of it was were probably consistent all the way through. I I feel like I've been talking quite negatively throughout all of this, but I've only been trying to offer a bit of counterpoint. So... To finish on, I'd probably say that I did want, I did enjoy this. I I did actually want to see the next episode, and and I did find it to be an enjoyable show. The the criticisms that I've possibly been leveling at the show could, however, have been summarised by them having so many ideas that they're trying to put all of them in, and maybe they didn't all get enough room to breathe. However, that don't, doesn't mean that any of the ideas were necessarily bad ones. It, it is just that, that, that timing issue. So, so overall, I, I did enjoy the show. As I say, I, I just wish it had come up a bit early because then it wouldn't have been suffering superhero fatigue <laughs> and some of the surprises and, and some of the fun scenes that were coming in, some of the jokes and... And, and everything, I, I, I would have come to it a bit fresher. I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more because of that. But it, but despite that, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it for that reason. I still enjoyed it, and it's, it is, yeah, it's just, a, just the nature of the age, my age. There we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. My final thought is, I really liked this show. Uh, it gave me something that other superhero shows don't. Um, I was. I was really enjoying all the kind of social uh, commentary it was bringing. Just, and I think our, our discussion has just kind of helped me realize, or helped me realize in more detail the the things I really really liked about it. You know, as I was writing about it over the course of the season, I got really bogged down in, in certain elements of it. You know, every week it would make me think about something very specific, and and um, 
it's just bringing that up through this discussion has kind of made me appreciate it even more. And I think um, maybe during the summer, or certainly before season two begins, I might just watch through this season again, just to, you know, because when if I'm watching something for an analytical purpose, as in to review it right afterwards, um, it's different as I look at it differently. But if I'm just watching it to just enjoy it, it'll be different, and I think it'll speak to me differently if I'm ju- if I just kind of watch it one episode a day for a couple of weeks in a couple of months' time. I don't know. It's it's just. It's just a good show. It just is, and uh, it's good characters, and it's well written, and it's well thought out. So, I can't wait to see more of it. Essentially, so that's that. So, unless you guys have anything else, uh, I think we should call it quits. You know, put the dynamo back in the box, go and hide in a school somewhere. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with this metaphor, but. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, anything else from anyone else? I got nothing, and I can't help you with that metaphor, so I have to leave that to Chris. I also have no idea why you're wanting to hide in a school, so I'm going to leave you to drown in your own metaphor. Because it's safe, you know. It's it's a safe place. I'm I'm sorry, but I saw the school get attacked a lot. Where you want to hide is in the tailors. Just saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I suppose he has a secret bunker and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. school got attacked a lot, the, the tailors got left alone. Yeah, apart from once. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining for this uh, this podcast. Uh, Aaron, well done for not stopping watching it and keeping up to date-ish. Uh, Chris, absolute mammoth effort uh, binging <laughs> it over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> now you can look forward to... M- loads of episodes of The Flash that are really underwhelming. So, look oh, great! Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, boss. And we'll have a we'll have a Flash podcast uh, in a couple of weeks. So that'll be fun. Yay! Um, <laughs> so you started with a low bar, and now you're finishing on a low bar. Yeah, that's that's good. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Keep it low. Keep it easy. Yeah. So, Chris, as always, thank you for appearing. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for appearing. Bye-bye. That was our discussion of Black Lightning Season 1. As always, if you like what you heard, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. If you could leave some five-star reviews, or even one-star reviews, or something in between, on iTunes, that'd be great, so we can see how well we're doing. We hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.